You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Leon. Let's go! Welcome everyone to episode number 59 of Ace Comicals, and I stood on the roof of the Ace Comicals HQ, and I threw up the Ace Comicals symbol, and on leather wings, Leon descended. And yes, I think today the big thing for us is the fact that there has been 80 years of Batman. So we've been celebrating Batman's 80th anniversary, and we've got Detective Comics 1000 to talk about. Um, but before that, Leon, what have you been up to? <laughs> uh, well, it's been uh, it's been a while. Um, yeah, because you were missing last time, were you? Uh, the time before, I think. Yeah. But yeah. what is time? No, there was three of us last time. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> the I time there. before, I was I was gone. <laughs> yeah, uh, she, she but yeah, I was there. since the last episode, um, I have been. Uh, gathering some comics that I've uh, not got around to reading yet. But um, yeah, today's unread comics are tomorrow's comics to read. Exactly. Um, but other than that, I uh, recently went to the cinema. Me and our daily departed Rahul and um, past guest of the show, Marvin, went to see uh, Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out, um, the horror movie titled Us. And uh, yeah, it was really good. It's one of those movies where especially if you're a big fan of get out like i was where you don't want to go in immediately comparing it to the film before so i put all of that out of my head i only watched the first trailer which is really really good it features a cool like horry string style orchestral version of luna's is i've got five on it nice and um yeah, like it, was, it dropped on Christmas Day and I was like, yeah, uh, I knew this movie was coming and I'm ready for it. And yeah, watching the movie, it was interesting because it's, um, it's it's a movie that like be- like gets itself under your skin. And like when watching it, I had a good time uh, watching it. Um, there's a lot of little uh, mix of Easter eggs and like... Um, deeper thematic elements that were that were nice to pick up during the movie so like talk me through like what what is the hook with this because i i mean i don't think i've even seen a trailer for this well uh what it is is i'll I'll say i'll mention what's on the posters and in the trailers uh so a family um go to santa cruz to their like holiday home um, and they're there to sort of hang out and and uh, meet up with the uh, the the dad's uh, like friends who are there, and it's all meant to be this nice sort of summer getaway. And then the first night, when everyone's about to go to bed, they notice there's uh, another family standing in the driveway. And there's four members: mum, dad, uh, a son, and a, and a daughter. And they no- notice that there's people in the driveway wearing these red suits. And then uh, they basically get into the house, these people, and then they realize that they're doppelgangers. They look just like them. They oh, are wow. us, yeah. which is a line said in the trailer. And 
basically from that point on, it's, it, it, it spirals out and out of control and uh, like an onion, which is the worst metaphor, but uh, it's, you know, you're peeling back layers constantly until you get sort of to the, the root of what the, what the horror is. And um, yeah, it's really effective and I'd highly recommend going to watch it. And I'd probably say, don't even watch the trailers, like watch the trailer, watch the first trailer when you've seen the movie, but just go in blind. I mean, yeah. Jordan Bill knocked out of the park with uh, Get Out. Uh, I would say just 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 dive in because it's um, it, it a lot of his influences um, are up on the screen in this one, and while um, because it has a wider broader scope, it's not as neat to say Get Out is in terms of its uh, its themes and meaning and stuff. But I think because of that, it gets to tap into something uh, larger and. Um, uh, more um more general in some ways so uh yeah i'd highly recommend it i think all the cast are just perfect um the score's amazing the writing and directing are just top notch and it's it's a movie that once you've seen it it, it, it like i was saying it burrows into you the days after and i haven't stopped thinking about it um since seeing it but also it's a really good discussion movie because of this because uh, there are so many different elements that are up for um, debate and um, for uh, like digging in and having having meaty discussions about what it meant to you and what you think it means and how it resonates in different ways. So um, yeah, I really really enjoyed that. And on top of it, it it's just a, a well made, well crafted um, uh, horror movie. And um, I think we've been getting pretty um, lucky with those over the last couple of years. Um, there's been a lot of really good, smart horror films coming out, and they've been getting the um, the attention they deserve. But um, mm. yeah, definitely check out mm. us people. We've we've sort of had that discussion before when we've talked about like how good horror movies have been recently, and it seems to be directly proportionate with how shit the world's been. Yeah, yeah, so. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like we've seen in the comic space as well. Like, uh, yeah, with like things like uh, uh, ice, uh, ice cream man. Um, was it Winnebago Graveyard? Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and various other titles that we've covered uh, um, over the last two years and a bit. Um, yeah, the, I think the the thing that's great about horror, and we've said this a million times, everybody said it is that it's such a good way to talk about um, the general fears of a society yeah. uh, and, and the many different layers to them. Um, and you can have the the different horrors. You can make them supernatural or larger than life to tell this greater story that is pretty much a story about the human condition. So yeah. sci-fi is really good for that as well. But yeah, it, it's nice. As bad as things are, at least um, it the at least one of the positives that we can pull from this is that a lot of people are finding different ways to express themselves and um uh sort of put their thoughts and feelings out there um in in really artful and um quite uh, visually arresting ways mm. yes Definitely. What we need now is we need a sci-fi horror where um, 
someone leads a group of people away from a larger group of people that are prospering and doing really well only to have them die of starvation in the desert and turn on each other and start eating each other or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've no idea what the subtext of, uh, of that story would be. But I, 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 and any writers, please take it up and, and, and give it to us. And they get, they get like halfway out the door and they spend the first hour of the film deciding how they're going to leave and what they're going to take with them. But they don't when actually... Do the, when do the tentacle monsters show up? That's the, that's the important <laughs> question. Not not until they've made it into the desert and uh, they have to make a pact with the tentacle monsters in order to survive. But then they eat each other and that's how it ends. So <laughs> that That's the next one that we need. Maybe I should be the one to write it. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. Get on it. But uh, yeah. I, I have a feeling that there are hundreds of these stories coming out. Like, I think next year is just going to be a bounty of uh, stories of this type, no matter what happens. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Oh, dear. But, um, yeah, so, uh, well, mine would be called uh, March 29th, but... (laughs) That's such a curious date. I like it. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um... On to more positive things. Uh, Batman is 80 years old. Would you believe it? He looks pretty good for his age. He does, yeah. Bruce Wayne. He, he looks really good for that. And so did Alfred looks even better. See? Like, considering how old Alfred man. must be, yeah. Billionaires. Like, they, they can afford to look young forever. Yeah. I know, it's great. And I'm sure some of that must... I mean, he must be giving Alfred some of those pills as well, because obviously... <laughs> Like, Alfred must be how old now? Oh, have you... I mean, speaking of Alfred, he's getting his own movie, isn't he? Isn't it a TV show? Is it a TV show? I thought it was... Yeah, I think it's called Pennyworth. Oh, is it going to be a TV show? Yeah, I think it's going to be on DC Universe or the CW, one of the two. I missed that. I I saw a teaser for it, and for some reason it registered in my mind that it was going to be a movie. But if it's going to be a TV show, then cool. But yeah, Alfred... Into the the inner workings of Alfred... Well, I mean, they, they kind of did that a little bit with uh, All-Star Batman. We got some kind of like Alfred prequel stuff in that, which was really cool. Mm. Like, because he's kind of like, I mean, he's getting he's getting brought to the front a bit more now, but he's kind of like the unsung hero of Batman stories because you don't like he's just there in the background doing what needs he, to be done. That's the thing. Always he, he's vigilant, a... always... Yeah, he's like a sidekick who doesn't have to put on a costume. Yeah, he doesn't have to put on green tights or anything, you know. He doesn't have to swing from building to building with a little yellow cape on. Like but he he does guy. have to look after an insane guy, an yeah. insane rich guy, but yeah, but there I, you go. And for, for some reason, he's still there after all these years. <laughs> like, if you were Alfred, you'd have packed your bags by now. Hey, they're family. You can't choose your family. I know. <laughs> but like when they almost kill themselves every night you do have to stop and think <laughs> have an intervention or two exactly yeah like how that guy hasn't had a stroke yet i don't know but you know oh there's probably that's that's been a story he's had a heart attack hasn't he in something I... i'm sure there's been a story of there's Digging various stories of depths of my uh, yeah Batman. i mean alfred various King. things various things have happened to alfred like 
but I don't know if he's had a heart attack from or or a, a stroke from like sheer anxiety seeing Bruce out there doing ridiculous shit. But yeah, I mean, I hope it, the uh, the TV show is not all prequel. I hope some of it is just it's set during now. It's just we never see Batman. <laughs> we just get <laughs> Alfred's side of it. A whole episode of just like um, the camera is basically in the screen of the back computer. And it's just Alfred just sat there with a headset on, just talking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to see him stitching back the suit and yeah. buffing out uh, uh, dings on the Batmobile. I want to I see the nitty gritty. I think that should be the intro to the show set to classical music. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, a, like, a, you know, like you get those kind of like montage scenes of butlers getting a house ready for a party. Yeah. It, be, it should be that, but Alfred getting the Batcave ready for Bruce. So like, just like polishing the Batmobile and like, uh, welding stuff back, you know, welding stuff back together and making batarangs. And and, like, and that's the thing, like placing them neatly with his white gloves on, you know, on a <laughs> he's got to be in great condition, hasn't he? Because yeah. that stuff isn't easy. Like Tony Stark has got like robots who do everything for him. Yeah. But, like Batman and Alfred, for the most part, it's them moving stuff about and yeah, they do everything. Themselves. Building stuff. Yeah. Hardcore. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's been various other members of the, the, like the Bat family over the years that have, have helped Batman that have built things for him or, you know, done mechanical work and things like that. But like for the most part, yeah, you're right. It throughout history, the most part, it has just been Alfred and Batman, Alfred and Bruce. So, yeah. So, so how did Batman get to 80? Like, well, it why, started... why do you think, but why do you think that he's... Why is he not a forgotten Golden Age or Silver Age hero? Why has he been resonant for 80 I think, years? I think it's just the idea of, you know, an ordinary man standing amongst this pantheon of basically their gods and still managing to hold his own. And also, like, the Batman stories. And, you know, they're just great detective stories. Like... You sh- when you strip it all back, he he is just a master detective, and there's something about a good mystery that keeps people interested and draws people in. And some of the greatest Batman stories are really just really good old fashioned mysteries. Mm. You know, I, I, a, yeah, like, like I, I think, flair, but yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of weight to that. I think that um, his lack of um, like supernatural power, um, does lead him to be a more um. I mean, he's a billionaire, but he, there's that um. There's his that bank, promise. His bank account is supernatural. Yeah. But... Well, yeah. There's like there, there's that <laughs> promise that you you have in your mind where yeah. you're reading books, or you're watching some of the uh, other Batman movies, and you're just thinking like, oh yeah, if I had hundreds of billions, like, like if I was if I had Jeff Be- uh, Bezos money. Like you could do it. I could build like a, a yeah. thing underground. I could build. Uh, I could uh, get all these machines built and stuff, mm. I, and I, I could go out and clean up the streets. Like it, it, as ridiculous as it sounds, like that very that notion does seem like a, a vaguely possible one. If you had, if you had the means, yeah, you you could hire the trainer. You could you know you yeah could travel the world and pick up the skills. You could find the best of the best at everything and learn with them 
and like apprentice under like you know master master spies and things like that <laughs> to learn and it's That's just, the thing. <clears throat> yeah but i i think the 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 the, be- the thing about it as well is his sheer will and determination like you watch this this you know this man he he is you know he's an ordinary man but you watch him achieve feats of superhuman you know like constantly punching above his weight even when he's only you know even when he's only only doing his you know like i say ordinary but i mean like you know like this just like bread and butter batman stuff yeah like going four nights without sleep yeah, track yeah. somebody down and things like that and it's just incredible like will and determination that this guy has oh, yeah. something and else. like yeah i think like in addition to that it's the thing that he is a symbol isn't he i mean the bat yeah. symbol is, is is not just resonant because it looks cool but also like it it has so many connotations it brings so many things around like yeah like batman is a thing where like anyone can uh like if him flying the flag type thing, him him holding the torch and running in, sort of gives uh, everyone else the uh, the the push they need to not yeah. have to sit down and take uh, the crap that their respective Gotham is given given yeah. them. Yeah, he's he's a symbol. Um, he, he will it instills that 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 you know like. Because if he can do it, anybody can. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, it... and and yeah, and that's the thing. I think like what um, is evident about him uh, is that with a few tweaks here and there, he is so relevant decade to decade. And hmm. there's, there's something in that, in that all these combinations of writers and artists have come together and have. Uh, written some, written and drawn uh, some of the best uh, like comic book stories. Full stop. Using this character as uh, as the the vector, as the jumping off point. I, I think there's something to that where a lot of people do some of their best work uh, writing and drawing for uh, for this character. Yeah, but I mean, like, not only that, he's got like the greatest collection of rogues. I think. Yeah, in comics. I, like, I, I think that is one of the strongest points. If you think yeah. of who are, who are the two biggest superheroes, uh, it is uh, Batman and Spider-Man from Marvel. And yeah. they're, they're two heroes who have just the best rogues galleries. But Ooh. I think Batman stands up there as the best. Well, yeah, because Batman's rogues aren't just villains or, or foils. They are tragic and human. And they have so many different like faces and facets yeah you know i mean one of them has two faces but yeah <laughs> it's just there's so many different facets to each one of batman's rogues and you can they're so they're just such interesting characters and the kind of hope and the kind of like um feelings that batman instills are true and real so like the kind of the the, the feeling that you get where you know the the rallying cry to stand up for yourself that Batman comics would give you when you read Batman comics, like the rallying cry to stand up for what you think is right. The rallying cry to stand up for yourself. It's a different 
kind of rallying cry. It's a true, a real feeling rallying cry. It's not like something under the guise of um, patriotism, which is what you would get from other comics. It's not something, you know, it's not too polished. It's gritty, it's filthy, and, you know, it's like kicking and thrashing out of the alley as a 10-year-old kid being dragged away by police from your mother's bleeding out body. You know, that's what it is. It's just... Mm. Yeah. But... I, I, that's I think, the thing. Yeah. I think, like, there's just so many different iconographies and um, elements to the character and and his world and, uh, and Gotham itself that um, you can see how... It, he's remained relevant and resonant for, for eight decades mm. and he's and likely for a hundred more to come. Yeah. He, oh yeah. Definitely. End of time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about it in 20 years, Leon, in our lifetime, we're going to get to see a hundred years of Batman. Hmm. I mean, I said this about Marvel as well, but <laughs> <laughs> Batman's as old as Marvel. And, that's and do really you cool. think, do you think uh, Bob Kane and Bill Finger had any idea? I don't, you know, I really don't. Like when you go back, when I went back and I read the first ever Batman story, I, I went back and um, dug up the first ever Batman story and read it recently uh, from Detective Comics number 27, Batman's first ever kind of appearance and outing. And when you read that and then you think like how far everything has come since then, like how much more fleshed out characters are like, you know, to beginnings like that as a, a a single story in what was then like an anthology hmm. of various detective tales. You know, to grow into something like this this kind of like force, this pop culture icon that I mean like when you think of DC comics, the first two things you think of are Batman and Superman. And when you think of comics in general the first three things you think of are Batman, Spider-Man and Superman. Like, if yeah, you ask definitely. anybody in the street, like, name three comic book characters. In most countries on the planet as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he's just, he's like, something that in, I don't know, um, another... Maybe still be like in another hundred and fifty years. Maybe they will still be making Batman stories. <laughs> Thing is, what is it about Batman where he's the most popular superhero? Yeah, uh, where his movies consistently make like uh, near near a billion, and and some of them past a billion yeah. at the box office. Where his comics sell out on the stands constantly, eighty years um, after. Where he's the most popular. Character for his roster at all? How uh, he's just ubiquitous with um, pop culture at, at this level. That still, everybody who likes Batman feels cool for liking Batman. It's not like oh, mainstream Batman. <laughs> like, I like I like uh, characters. No one's ever. Everyone likes Batman. Uh, and how is that the case where everyone feels everyone feels like the cool? Well, I like Batman, even though everybody likes Batman. What is it about him? How we all have that feeling, even though it's <laughs> so mainstream as hell. I don't, I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I can't. <laughs> I think it's because when you like Batman, you like Batman. And there's like a level. 
Like, I mean, there's there's experiencing Batman as pop culture, as ambient, ambient Batman. And then there's like, there's deep dive Batman. And it just, I think you feel cool for liking Batman because it's just, I don't know, it's just something that is perennially, perennially cool anyway. And there is something for yeah. everyone because if, yeah. if you're just the case of like, oh, I, want, I just want him to be, I just want a hero who's badass and beats beats the crap out of people. You've got your like your more yeah. sort of gritty Zack Snydery edge, um, like yeah. I was going to say Frank Miller, but even Frank Miller's one's a bit more dimensional than that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you've got you've got your like fascist Batman if you want him who beats the crap out of people and is like a tank yeah. and the. Uh, like uh, throws criminals off buildings He's and stuff just like that. A, a leather-clad steamroller. Yeah. yeah, but then you've also got your detective, witty Batman. Yeah, uh, you've got your, you've got your, <laughs> you've got your jokey um, camps Batman. Yeah, camp Batman. Yeah. Like, but even even the worst, uh, quote unquote, worst versions still have something there. Like I, they're still yeah. they're still like. A spark there that is enjoyable, even if it's mm. um, enjoyable in a ha-ha bat nipples way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I my Batman is the witty detective Batman. Like that is the Batman I like the most. I love those kind of like where you can see the cogs turning in his head when he's sitting there in the Batcave with Alfred, like just constantly sniping at him. Like, are you going to sleep this de- this decade? You know, kind of thing. And he's just like mm. sitting there staring at the computer, just like, I can't work out why that's a slightly different shape to that or something like that. And he's just, yeah. he's looking at something incredibly minute and something that would probably send me blind if I looked at it as long as he did. And it's just, and I, I like the Batman where it's like sheer grit, will and determination when nothing can hold him down. Mm. So where, you know, like, um, some of the best Batman stories are Scarecrow stories where he's fighting the influence of the fear toxin. And like, it's like super internal. Yeah. And you get, you just get a a pure sense of how willful this man is and, and how difficult this man is to keep down. And I think it's the fact, you know, the fact there's like a fine line between Batman and Tony Stark as well. Hmm. And, uh, like, if you look at those two as, like, two sides of the same coin. Almost. I mean, like, there's, like, that fine line between Batman and Tony Stark. And I think Batman sits on the right side of that. Because I actually find Iron Man obnoxious. I think you're supposed to. But, like, Batman kind of sits on the right side of that. And that's, I think that's what, I mean, if I'm going to pick from my millionaires with toys, I'm going to pick Batman. <laughs> <laughs> because you know tony stark's obnoxious i don't mind saying that on here he is <laughs> and you i think you're supposed to feel that when you read iron man comics i think you really are i mean batman can be obnoxious at times as well like well tony stark is like the bruce wayne character all the time type thing yeah yeah he never turns it off but batman is only using bruce wayne as a front to hide his true identity Mm. because Bruce Wayne isn't the secret identity and yeah um, building on that um, to celebrate Batman's 80th anniversary this year 
Uh, well, actually, also this year there has been a th- but we've we've got issue one thousand of Detective Comics, and that was last Wednesday. So that would have been Wednesday, the twenty uh, seventh of March, and um, that kind of like was the true the the true eightieth anniversary of Batman was on Saturday the thirtieth of March. But the um, and this is like. If we, this is going back, like, because Batman's first appearance was Detective Comics twenty seven in May nineteen thirty nine. So from then onwards, up to a thousand issues, Batman kind of like took over as the main, um, the main character and the main story in Detective Comics became Batman. Batman, and then Batman got his Batman got his own comic in the nineteen in nineteen forty as well, like spring nineteen forty is when we got Batman number one, and from then onwards, it's just been just strength to strength basically from there on like batman has just grown and grown and grown and now it's like this epic myth and there's a thousand issues of detective comics and i'm sitting here with issue a thousand in my hand (laughs) (laughs) and yeah it is it's a really really cool celebration of batman and there is this massive massive team that have worked on it um like to read out every name would be insanity uh (laughs) But like, I mean, I think it's like a who's who of DC creators has worked on this and a lot, you know, like a who's who of people that have written Batman before now. And there's just some some really great artwork in here, some really great stories. Um, I just go through a couple of my favorites from it, actually, because I think it's a really, really good celebration of what Batman means to different people. And it shows all the different facets of who Batman is as a character and really just for any Batman fan, it's just a a great thing to read because it just really does like, I mean, parts of it actually brought a tear to my eye, but, um, my favorite story was the, uh, the Paul Dini one, which was the legend of Knut Brody. And this is this like from the whole anthology. This was my favorite because it had that distinct Batman animated series feel. And that's probably because Paul Dini wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and it actually made me chuckle out loud and, I could totally imagine it animated. And what it is, it's this... um, It's done in the style of, like, a documentary expose um, of a, like, one of Gotham's most famous henchmen. But he's not famous... And he's, like, worked for, like, all the big rogues. And he's not famous because he's good. He's famous because of his screw... Like, the, the fact... Like, he screws up so spectacularly. And, like each rogue that's featured has has a kind of a story about him in how he's basically messed up and ended up getting that rogue shoved in Arkham or whatever. <laughs> uh, so it's just been bouncing from rogue to rogue. Yeah, and they just like, they do different interviews. They do an interview with Ivy where Ivy tells her story. They do an interview with the Riddler about how like hapless this guy is basically. And it's got a really great twist at the end of the story and it's it's absolutely brilliant and i could imagine it animated like looking at it and even the art had a little bit of a a, a, a animated series twang about it that's cool it just, yeah i mean it wasn't like it wasn't obviously you know it wasn't animated but series art but it was stuff. it just it just had that that kind of edge to it like in the character designs and everything in the way they yeah. dress and i just uh 
Yeah, I loved that one. That one was my favourite one. <clears throat> yeah, that one took me back to being a 10-year-old kid. And that, that, for me, like, because obviously this is what Batman means to different people, that, for me, is what Batman means to me. Because I could, you know, like, sitting in front of the TV in the evenings, because I think Batman used to be on in the evenings on Cartoon Network, didn't it? I guess. I, I, I watched it in many different sources. I watched it yeah. on ITV... I watched it on whichever channels it was, on Sky. I watched it all over. I'm not sure how true this memory is, but I just have a distinct memory of it at like half six, seven o'clock in the evening on Cartoon Network. Um, And that's kind of like where I used to watch it. Um, And like, yeah, me sat down at 10 years old watching Batman. Um, And like, that was like my first... Like, I mean, obviously I knew of Batman, I knew who Batman was. I'd watched reruns of 1960s Batman, but that was kind of like my first, um, like when I started watching Batman the Animated Series was sort of my first kind of experience of Gotham and, you know, like all the many yarns told about the Cape Crusader and his different rogues and everything else. Hmm. That's kind of my in, <laughs> basically. That was my jumping on point. And I never jumped off, been on the train ever since. <laughs> um. The next few stories that I really liked were, uh, there's one called The Batman's Design, which has some really beautiful fluid artwork. Now, like the, 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 this story kind of showcases Batman as the tactician. So this is Batman doing what he does best. Like he's, he has set a trap, basically, and he has lured these people, these, these, uh, these guys he's after, he's kind of lured them into a specific building on purpose because he's already got it set up. This is like, you know, the Batman prepared for anything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is, this two is Batman. Two steps ahead. Yeah. Batman, two steps ahead. Batman, the tactician. And uh, it's, it's a really, really great story with some brilliant uses of light and shadow. And the art is just so fluid and it just like, washes over the page beautifully and there's some great sequences in here some beautiful action sequences uh, a lot of great use of shadow and smoke like the, the the sort of like there's this whole kind of like running theme of smoke in every panel almost in this story and it's just great and it just shows batman's just like he just he all you know like he he he's always prepared he always knows and he has seen the outcome already because he's done he's done the due diligence. <laughs> and I love it. And that's it. That's like another facet of Batman that I enjoy. The fact that he is like this, uh, this kind of master tactician. And given enough time, Batman can beat anyone, which is like the old adage that you hear repeated ad infinitum across the Internet. Um, and yeah, Becky, Becky Cloonan was the artist on this one and she completely aced it. It's great. Um, the other one I liked was one called The Precedent, which is um, a story of, um, it's kind of like Alfred and Batman having a conversation, and they are talking about Dick Grayson, and uh, this is basically, Batman has just taken, like, Dick under his wing, and is um, sort of apprehensive about the fact that Dick now knows that Batman is Batman and they're, they're talking about, you know, should I train him kind of thing? And, and what, what would he bring to, and, and, uh, like Alfred is, is basically describing what, what 
Robin would would bring to everything, and we get like future flashes of Robin. And this is like a celebration of Batman as um, the teacher, but also the student because of what Robin teaches Batman and what Robin can help Batman with. They can help each other. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just this conversation in the study between Alfred and uh, Bruce, and also with um like kind of flashes into the future of of robin side by side with batman in the field in the streets and just you know batman is the father as well i guess a little bit but Mm. i just love i love this this story particularly because it's the first sidekick kind of thing and it's it's like batman being yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's about it's about like um you know like teaching him like you know friendship and everything else and things because batman's it's very isolated very lonely and i think um when batman has a robin with him he's he's a little bit different he's a little bit it helps him i think like in more ways than just the just having somebody watching your back you know i think it's good for him psychologically as well mm. which is what i think alfred's trying to get across but yeah, that was that was cool, and uh, the um, the one the, the two that sort of bookend it. You had <clears throat> Batman's longest case, which opens the book, um, which is showcasing Batman as the detective. Now that one is the uh, the new Fifty Two team. Um, that is uh, Snyder and Capullo, and that is sort of showcasing Batman's detective skills and we've got him following clue after clue after clue after clue and I'm not going to tell you what he's following these clues towards what the end is but um it is uh it's a really nice ending it's quite touching and it's a, a, a true celebration of Batman as the detective and then the last one is um it's a celebration of Batman as the the father basically uh, it gives it the bat family batman the family man and this one's called batman's greatest case and uh this is tom king and it's basically it's like everybody gathers together on a rooftop every member of the bat family and they're all gathering together and nobody knows why they're all gathered together until we get to a double page splash at the end and i'm not going to tell you what it is because i want you to read it it's called batman's greatest case and that is um tom king wrote that one and that is really good um and this is just a really nice story of basically the whole bat family getting together on top of one rooftop and then batman turning up at the end and uh, through the story we get batman as well flashbacks of batman going to visit his parents grave and uh, in the end, it all sort of comes together. All the pieces come together. and We find out why and what the connection is. And it's really touching. And that one actually brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> With um, it being like a celebration of, of Batman. Yeah. Does it work at all as uh, an introduction for people who have not really d- dug into Batman in the past? I guess so. Yeah. I mean... It would, because it would give you, a re- if you read this, it would give you a real sense of what Batman is actually about. And hmm. you would be, um, 
yeah, from here forward, actually, you could, you you could you could um, carry on reading Detective Comics actually, because the the last story in the book is a hook into the next issue of Detective Comics. But okay, um, and it's the start of a new arc as well. Which, so it could be a good jumping on point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because it gives you a re- it gives you like kind of a primer and a real sense of what Batman's about. Um, some hooks to get you in interested, and then. Um, yeah, and then it kind of like brings you on board for the next part. So, I guess as an introduction, yeah, um, for somebody who's not really ever, I wouldn't say somebody who doesn't who who knows nothing abs- absolutely nothing about Batman because it might be a little bit disorientating, uh, disorienting. But I think um, for somebody who has maybe watched a couple of Batman movies and has an interest and you know knows like. So most basically ninety nine point nine percent of the world who have experienced ambient Batman, <laughs> as I yeah. call it, would be would be you know like this would be a jumping on point for the comics for them definitely. It could be, so I'm going to run through the credits of my favourite stories and I'm going to go through them sort of like as they appear in the comic chronologically. So, um, Batman's longest case is uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, uh, with uh, Jonathan Glapian. FCO Placentia and Tom Napolitano. Uh, yeah, Scott Snyder writing, Greg Capullo pencils, Tom Napolitano on letters, um, uh, FCO Placentia on colours, and Jonathan Glapian is inks. Um, next up, we have uh, The Legend of Knut Brody, which is the uh, Paul Dini one. That's Paul Dini writer, Dustin Nugent on pencils, um, Derek Frindolfs uh, does link uh, inks and uh, John Callis is colours and Steve Wands on letters. Um, after that, we have um, the Batman's design, which is Warren Ellis, writer. Becky Cloonan is the artist. Uh, Jordi Belair on colours and Simon Boland on letters. So um, that one is actually like, for me, that one is the most aesthetically pleasing in the book. For sure. Like, the art in it, that one is absolutely beautiful. Uh, then we have The Precedent, which was uh, James Tinian fourth um, as the writer. We've got Alvaro Martinez Bueno on pencils. And uh, Raul Fernandez on inks. Brad Anderson on colours. And uh, Sal Cipriano lettering. And that one's quite quite nice to look at as well. There's, like, a, a really cool single-page montage of Robin, like, with the... Um, the the um the sort of like uh, the Teen Titans and stuff. Oh, cool! Which is really cool. Yeah, there's like a little montage of him with uh, that. That's really that's a really cool page. Um, and then there's like the montage of him and Batman fighting together as well, which is also a really nice page. And there's some little bits, little flecks of him appearing as Nightwing as well, which is really nice. And I guess that's more of a more of a celebration of the sidekick than of Batman himself. More a celebration of Robin the idea of Robin, um, but it's, it's still great, and I think it still showcases that side of Batman. Um, and uh, the last one was Batman's Greatest Case, which was um, Tom King, uh, Tony S. Daniel, uh, Joel Jones, uh, artists, and um, Tommy Omori on colours, and Clayton Cowles on letters for that one. And that one's really nice. Uh, that was the one that's kind of like, hit me in the feels a little bit but yeah that one's cool 
So yeah, that is Detective Comics 1000. Um, so much talent in that book and it's well worth picking up. And also I, I have to tell you, there's like a, a epic list of covers as well. Um, there are some variants that like are kind of like through the decade variants. There's, there was a shop, um, shop exclusive variants as well, like retail, retailer exclusive ones. I think Brian Bolland did one for Forbidden Planet, which was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the covers I managed to pick up, I got the 1940s cover, um, which is the uh, was done by Bruce Tim, and that was kind of like the 40s style Detective Comics cover variant, which was really cool. Um, and um, I also picked up the uh, the one that is representative of the 1970s, which is Bernie Wrightson and Alex Sinclair, and that one was also really nice. Um, uh, just a nice cover to have Batman on a on a stoop looking out over the city bat signal kind of hazy in the background in the clouds uh, i have photographs of both of these covers in uh on the ace comicals instagram if you want to go and take a look and check them out um because i i, I took some photo i took a photo and did a little bit of a write-up uh as in a little bit of a blurb about like yeah i'm celebrating batman 80 <laughs> Stuck <laughs> that up on the Instagram, but yeah, if you want to check those out, they're up there. The two covers that I got, but all the other covers as well, you can just find them just as easily on the internet. We've got um, a 1930s one by Steve Rude. We've got um, 1950s one with Michael Cho. Uh, there's a Jim Steranko one, uh, the Bernie Wrightson one, which I have. Uh, there's a Frank Miller one, which represents the 80s. Frank Miller and Alex Sinclair. Uh, there's a 90s one, which is Tim Sale and Brennan Wagner. Wagner, uh, there's a 2000s one by Jock and the 2010s one by Greg Capullo and FCO Placentia and uh, Chris Comroy and Dave Wilgotch did the uh, editing for this and uh, Jamie S. Rich was the group editor for the book and that is Batman created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger all those years ago and I'm done <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh it's worth a look, definitely. If you're a Batman fan, if you're a comics fan, it's something worth picking up because even if you're not particularly a Batman fan, but you like comics, it's a landmark. So yeah. Um, on from there, I believe it's your turn to talk about a comic, Leon. You want to take us through uh, the Sheriff of Babylon, even? Yeah. Yes, the Sheriff of <clears throat> Babylon. Sorry, I my my jaw was unhinged. I couldn't. I couldn't <laughs> say the sheriff bit. I was like, ooh, ooh. I saw that Batman. Yeah, just, uh, just driven you up and worthy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the Sheriff of Babylon is yeah. a comic by um, a pairing that listeners of the show might be familiar with, as um, we've. Uh, gone on and on about them uh, uh, during the life of the show, and that is writer Tom King and artist Mitch Jarrett from uh, Mr. Miracle fame. Uh, the Shepherd of Babylon is a story they did at Vertigo that um, a few years before, uh, I, think, so I believe this is a 2016 comic, might be earlier, but um, yeah, and this is... Very different from Mr. Miracle, but also shares a lot of similarities. So this story is uh, it's a 12-issuer, just like uh, Mr. Miracle. And um, 
It's set during Iraq, um, uh, the Iraq War, sorry, in 2004. So not long after, I think it's a few months after the fall of Saddam. And uh, the country is fully occupied by the Allied forces. Allied forces. uh, The coalition forces um, at the time. Um, And it focuses on three characters in a semi-sort of triptych way. So you have Chris, who's uh, an American ex-cop, who is in Iraq to help uh, rebuild the, 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 the police force there. Sees they're training up cops. Um, you've got so he's part of the military. Uh, they're helping to train train cops. You've got uh, NASA, who is um, an Iraqi. He's a, a Shiite who was the chief of police for Saddam, uh, which itself brings up many um, complications as well, considering. The, the history of, of, of the area and what happened um, with, with Saddam and uh, uh, and the people there before invasion. Um, and he uh, he was a cop, but now he is sort of the the man who knows the town type thing. Um, uh, and then you have uh, Sophia, who is a, a Sunni who uh, moved. Uh, to America uh, in her youth, I believe, and then moved back to Iraq um, during the Iraq War um, as part of the fall, and is positioned um, in a an advantageous position where she's like sort of getting towards the top of like the the power there, um, and the three of these characters intersect. Um, due to the murder of one of Chris's uh, like recruits, who he's training to be a cop, so the the story sort of plays like a noir in some ways. It's like a a, a noir set in 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 war torn uh, uh, Iraq, and we we follow these characters in, and they they're like. Their stories like intersect and overlap at different points, um, and we sort of get deeper and deeper into this uh, this rabbit hole and this sort of uh, pressure box of all these different um, uh, different uh, stressed and um, di- uh, displaced uh, people in a society that has been completely flipped over and um yeah it, it's quite it it's quite um what's the way like it's dark like to start off it is dark like this is definitely uh this isn't rah rah america war this is like this is very brutal and there's uh there's brutality shown like all around whether it be on actions of the americans whether it be Actions of uh, the various uh, uh, different uh, uh, Iraqi communities, but yeah, it, it's it, desolate in some ways and quite um, quite brutal. And like, it doesn't shy away from the brutality, but it's not done in a sort of pornographic sense. It's um, 
and it's not it's not done as like a shortcut to yeah guys it, this is war it's brutal it, it it's more done in a way to reveal character and to reveal uh the sort of gray morality um of the people there and and when i say the people there i mean uh the occupying force but all the other people who are like sort of divvying up pieces of of what's left of the country following the invasion and yeah it, it's it's wild to sort of see a book like this written by someone who was a CIA, CIA agent who um, did ha, did have some time when he was over there. And what you get is a very honest portrayal of, of the world. And it's not set like a, a white saviour, like American soldier guy waltzes in and with, with a broken arm and an and a AK-47. He holds off... Uh, a bunch of faceless uh, Iraqi bad guys and gets to the gets to the bottom of this uh, this murder type thing, and it's not even a, a hackneyed. Uh, duh, 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 there's an American behind the X Y Z, and this is the twist. Instead, it's a lot um, more nuanced and a lot um, a lot more layered than that, and you you, you get um, a lot of the uh, techniques that we see a lot of, see a lot of um, and we've spoken a lot about in Mr. Miracle where you've got like the famous classic comic nine panel grid which is um, deployed in really uh, impactful ways uh, in terms of not just structure but really getting you into into the heat of a situation or the uh, the inner thoughts and feelings of of, of the characters. And you sort of feel their 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 fear, their bewilderment, um, their their anger, uh, their their hurt, their loss. Uh, all of it is portrayed really well. And I think the the King Gerard's team are just on fire. And in ways, it, it's funny because it feels like a preview run for what they're doing, uh, what they went on to do in Mister Miracle, but. To say that makes it sound like it's incomplete or um, a sophomoric or something like that, and, it, and it's not at all. It's telling a different story, but that shares a lot of similarities because there's a lot of in, internalness. There's a lot of um, asking hard questions. Um, but like here, I think Gerard's art it has a similar texture, but it doesn't get as like as digitally warped as as we got in Mister Miracle. Instead, it goes for a very, um, a very honest and um, detailed look, and um, to to these characters, and you, you get a very good sense of what they're thinking, what they're feeling, just through minute little details in how uh, they're they're drawn and their expressions, and um, it really. Um, I don't know, it, it's odd because a lot of the time something like that could rely heavy on speech bubbles and there's a lot of dialogue in, in this. But I think the both work in tandem really well in, in 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 the best way that comics when they're on fire do work where you're just being pulled through this story and you, you're trying to... You're invested in trying to find out what's going on because each issue, something completely wild or weird happens or... 
a quirky behavior from a character completely offsets um, what you'd expect in that scenario. Um, and yeah, it, it, it definitely feels like a circus, but not in a way that sort of played light. Um, there's, there's a lot of weight here and you can feel um, uh, the meaning and the search of meaning um, does just jump off the, the page. Um, and like even the the use so in Mr. Miracle you have your panels especially in the nine grid style where you'd get your dark side is mm. and usually for us um, that's like sort of it's like playing in, in Scott's head in a way uh, where it's a constant reminder and in this uh, in the earlier issues that technique is used, but in a different way when instead it's when gunshots happen and like brutal gunshots for, for the scene that they take place in. And usually it's like, uh, blam or bam. And it's more like bang. And it's so, um, sorry, is it just lettering over plain black? Yeah. Just just like that typeface as well. The sort of courier typeface. And but uh, it like, it hits you every time because it, it does, it does sort of like, uh, punch you in the chest a bit, especially during those early issues. And uh, yeah, there's, there's no uh, pulled punches in that sense. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's a bit. I'm like about halfway through, and, and I'm really enjoying it. And I'm going to complete that, and I'll probably talk a bit more about it on the next episode if there are any revelations mm. or if it takes any any turns that uh, I think are notable. But uh, I'd ha- I'd heavily recommend you read it for next um, uh, uh, episode, uh, Greg, because I, yeah. I think you'll enjoy what it's doing. I'd recommend uh, Rahul read it as well. But, yeah, I think it's I think you'll enjoy what it's doing because it, it does feel like a spiritual prequel mm. to uh, – a, a spiritual predecessor to um, – to Mr. what they were doing on Mr. Miracle, and it even has uh, links to what King was doing on uh, like Vision, mm. uh, like it's in his wheelhouse, um, but it's um, it's not it's not like a crutch. It's not like okay, he's implying this thing or they're implying these techniques again, these cliches. Uh, more more so, it feels like it's a tool set, and they're using the right tools um for the story that they're, they're trying to um yeah trying to um show us so I, I think um it's definitely worth reading it, it is not uh it's not easy going but it's not like i don't want it to sound like a it's just this doom and gloom gritty uh like sort of orange mud fest type thing where it's uh, it's just like depressive and uh, overbearing because I don't think it is at all, but it just, it doesn't um, shy up on the, the harsh realities of, of the Iraq war and on the, the various uh, atrocities that took place, including the invasion itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's the, the sheriff of Babylon uh, 12 issue run. It was uh, released by DC vertigo, right? of Tom King, art and colors, Mitch Gerrard's, uh, letterer was Nick Napolitano. Yeah, I'm going to have to give that a look. That sounds really cool. Sounds like it's... Uh, I mean, it's one I've been meaning to look at anyway. It's only 12 issues, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I have to check that out for next time. On from there, I think it's Sabrina time, isn't it? So this is one that we both read. And uh, this is 
a new number one. And this is Sabrina the Teenage Witch. But this is... It's not horror Sabrina. It's... um, I guess erring more towards classic Sabrina. Uh, Well, it's... it's, Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like an amalgamation of of a bunch of the different iterations of Sabrina we've had, isn't it? Yeah, it has has the bounce and the fun of uh, sort of like classic Archie Sabrina. And um, more kind of, um, but yeah, more more kind of sort of classic, well known Sabrina in the way that it's kind of slice of lifey, but it also has this this like supernatural edge, and it's kind of like the perfect middle ground between traditional Sabrina and uh, something like Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Because uh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I would say that I'd, I'd say it's in, in comic wise, it's in the in the middle ground of those two. Yeah. And then I think it has um, some, at least some stylistic um, sprinklings of the TV show Netflix, mm. um, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yeah. And it definitely has like a dash of TV Buffy in there as well, like yeah. the earlier high school seasons. Yeah, definitely. And more importantly, Sassy Salem is back. Sassy is Salem back. is back, yeah. He is back and he's not got any time for your shit, Sabrina. Yeah. Yes. They gave him a voice. (laughs) (laughs) And he's using it. And that for me, as soon as I as soon as I saw words coming out of that cat's mouth, that was it. (laughs) I was like, yes. Sassy Salem's back, and this is everything I wanted from a Sabrina comic. And it it is pretty much everything I wanted from a Sabrina comic. It's great. Um what I'm going to do is I am going to give you the blurb from the back of the comic book because there's a blurb on the back of the comic. Sabrina Spellman is a teen witch who's struggling with balancing the double life of high school and her burgeoning powers. Newly relocated to Greendale with her aunts Hilda and Zelda, also witches, Sabrina is trying to make the best of being the new girl in town which so far includes two intriguing love interests, an instant rivalry, a misfit that could turn into a BFF and trying to save the high school and maybe the world from crazy supernatural events and um this is kelly thompson of captain marvel and jessica jones and uh artists veronica and andy fish who have done archie and spider woman and also um another book that i have talked about on here blackwood which was the supernatural high school one um which i think i've talked about on a previous episode of this show which uh you can go back and check out uh and that was blackwood from dark horse comics but yeah this was it was great it was everything i wanted from a sabrina comic um it's it's like like i said it's, it's everything because i mean we're, we're sabrina fans anyway on this show aren't we we are i mean yeah i can't i mean i think that's clear <laughs> yeah <laughs> we like sabrina but yeah um so I mean, like, we like the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina show. We've reviewed that and we've talked about that. I mean, like, we love the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina comic, the kind of, like, more horror-focused one, because that was that was a really good horror comic. But this this is kind of, like, a little bit lighter and it's a bit fun, it has a bit of fun with the idea and uh, I just thought it was great, like, start to finish. And it's... 
I love like Veronica Fisher's style and the way that she's like designed and styled these characters and taken elements of sort of like from across the history of the character Sabrina and kind of incorporated them all into one. And I think I just think it's a really great character design and I especially love the way she draws hair. I don't yeah, know if you noticed yeah. that. Yeah, she's like the way the way the hair is in this like it's just it's just brilliant. It's just perfect. Um, and like the the amount of movement you get in the hair between panels and everything, and it it's like almost like the hair is the most animated part of the whole thing. It's great. Um, yeah, I think the character design is really really yeah. cool across the board. Like uh, the characters have this very like individualistic look that's stylized. Yeah, but uh, in, in such a such a cool way, even sort of. Uh, changing up not really changing up but uh having a a, a, a a sort of individual take on the classic um yeah sabrina like uh blonde haired with a headband look is uh really nice yeah she's she's got this kind of like 90s goth edge kind of thing yeah around. and and it, it, it works because it's kind of like a cheeky nod to the fact that she's a witch and she stands out because of it but at the same time, she blends in because that's fashion. So yeah, and it, yeah. it definitely feels like yeah, the uh, someone who is like a, a Gen Z kid who's embra- embracing uh, like nineties goth fashion, even though it would be set now. It does have that feeling, like yeah, yeah. completely, definitely. And um, I think one of the more interesting things about this as well is the panels where magic is used. You know, when she's casting a spell. Hmm. And also the lettering that goes with that, like the way the way spells are in this book, and um, the way the lettering is to give you kind of an idea of like maybe she has like a, a ethereal, um, booming voice. <laughs> like there's some kind of energy behind it. Yeah, um, yeah. Where the, the 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 speech bubble goes black and the text goes white, and also each panel where she uses a spell is labelled. Uh, with a little scroll to tell you that this is the second spell or the third spell she's used during the story. And it, after promising she wasn't going to use any magic at the beginning of the book, because what could go wrong, right, when Sabrina starts using magic to help people and stuff? Because that's, that's pretty much like the, the hook of any good Sabrina story, is Sabrina using magic and it backfiring. Yeah, and yeah. that's definitely set up here, because it yeah. starts uh, like in media res, doesn't it, where yeah. she's sort of like sort of not even not waking up but like just come to her senses or something and yeah. she's on spell five as a um and things look quite dire um we've got a, a wendigo stirring our face in like page two yeah. and then you jump back to the beginning of the day and uh the spells are sort of used as a a structure a structural device mm. that, uh, that move us throughout the day but or also show us um, how uh, how Lezithir, uh Sabrina can be. Um, like, I mean, she has the best intentions, but it, the it's the time. classic, yeah. yeah, classic Sabrina thinking that magic can can fix any problem, yeah. and being overly liberal with her with, use of with it. Magic, yeah, and the the magic panels being framed in purple as well. I think that's quite nice. Yeah. And the way the way the the panels are edged, it just looks ethereal and magical. Like I love that, like this kind of like purple haze and uh, that comes over it. The way they do the magic in this book is great. 
and um, each spell, like each spell panel, just looks fantastic. I mean, the whole book looks fantastic, but there's just some great. I mean, there's some great lettering moments as well, um, and the whole thing. It's just, it's just fun. It's just a fun ride, start to finish, and you know, it, it's quite funny actually in places. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I love um, the way that. Um, with, it's just like, it kind of like takes you through her day step by step. And you just, it like the, the, it's just a day in the life of Sabrina, basically this first book, like to give you an idea, like as a, as a number one, it's a great introduction because the way the story is structured in this first issue, the way this first chapter is as in a day in the life of Sabrina to give you an idea of who she is and and how she kind of interacts with the world. I think that works really well. Yeah. Um, as the new kid as well. Yeah. And I think that works really well as an introduction and really well as an issue one. And I think it's really cool. Um, yeah, because I, I, I like, um, like, especially how it begins, because it starts yeah. with like a, a nine panel, but yeah. like uh, there's no white gutters. The, the gutters are more art, uh, mm. indicative of uh, the strangeness of the scene and, and the yeah. location in like the woods or forest. And it uh, really, uh, like, it, it grabs you straight away. Yeah. And uh, Zelda and Hilda as well. Like, in the one interaction we get with Zelda and Hilda, we get a, like, an instant idea of who they are and how each one is. Yeah, and, like, they're yeah. not as, like, um, like, Zelda's not as, like zealoty, they're not devil worshippers in this. Basically, if you're coming from this off from the yeah. from the TV show, um, the Netflix show, yeah, they are they're more in the guise of classic uh, Hilda and Zelda, but they're definitely influenced to a degree visually, um, to yeah. some degree. I can see uh, that. Yeah. yeah, and in the way that they are with, um, in the way that they interact with Sabrina as well, like yeah. you instantly get which one's strict and which one's liberal and which one's fun and which one's not from the food that they give her. Cause it's just, it's just there in, in the food. That, and then when she's there with the two things in her hand, the pop tart and the health shake or whatever it is, it's like the instantly, you know, like this is yeah. the two forces you're contending with. You've like represented here in your hands in these two items, a pop tart and a brutally horrible health shake. It's like, <laughs> That's that's what it is, and I, that that like just distills Hilda and Zelda for me. Well, the thing that cracks me up in this yeah. is they introduce Harvey as you got to do. She meets yeah. Harvey on her first yeah. day, and he's just mega bland and boring. Like, is is that he just destined to be boring and dull? Harvey yeah. sucks. <laughs> and then she meets this like uh, she has like two meet cutes in the space of five minutes. But yeah, because she meets. Um, uh, uh, what's his name again? The uh, leather jacket wearing uh, Ren. That's it, Ren. Yeah. And he's more interesting. He's yeah. uh, he speaks more in uh, more fancy and like he feels himself hardcore. Like yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he knows he's attractive, but he has a bit of a magic turn. Like uh, Sabrina, sort of just nailing. They've got a yeah. flirt game on one hundred uh, that day, which is a uh, it, it is cool, but on 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 the the flip side of oh yeah, I really like the friend actually the um the girl who's being bullied, yeah, who 
Why am I forgetting everybody's name? Uh, I can't remember her name. I'll, I'll find it later. But um, she is like she's like a cool setup as like this this like bullied girl. And the thing I like, uh, Sabrina, and what I really like in Chilling Adventures on Netflix is um, oh Jessa. I, yeah, I Jessa, Jessa, Jessa Chang, yeah. Yeah, it is that. Um, I like her sort of building her coalition of mates and in the, the they're all underdogs in the Netflix one. And I, I kind of like her sort of building that. And I hope uh, Jesse isn't just like a psychic character. Mm. Um, but like on, on the flip side, I found uh, Radka. She's so over the top mean. Yeah. Uh, I hope there is a good um, like flip or reveal in the coming issues. Cause she's so over the top mean to like a, a ridiculous degree. Cause at the beginning, um, it just feels like, uh, like standard sort of snooty mean girl, but like the stuff she does later on. Yeah. She's horrible. It, yeah. She's horrible. So I'm hoping that at least somewhere she isn't just one dimensionally evil. Um, but I, I've got faith that that probably won't be the case by no. happenings that happen later on that we will, we shut up. I think she's going to end about. up as part of Sabrina's ragtag group. Yeah, 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 easy. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, the way this comic ends is pretty cool, and I'm definitely enjoyed that as an issue one. I thought it was really good. Yeah, because it, it moves, doesn't it? It, mm. it so, you, uh, listeners have heard me complain on this show many a time that sometimes I find issue ones just hard to talk about because there's a lot of setup, and it's usually issue two is when the ball gets rolling. Um, but this does have like a lot of the elements and mm. it sets you and i think the having the framing structure for being a first day at a new school and meeting all these new people is um is good because it gives us a lot of the um a lot of the the high level notes that we need for for her life who she is uh what her general outlook is and uh what the world of greendale and especially greendale high is like in this world and um it nails all of that and then has its uh tingly uh supernatural witchy stuff and we're sort of brought in and and propelled forward uh and yeah quite, i quite like that mm. I, quite yeah, like I, it. I enjoyed it it's perfect middle ground for me what i want to see now is i want to see this sabrina turn up in the riverdale tv show <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> because but, um she's yeah. like devil worshipy ones they just won't work but the, the, this this Sabrina could show up in in the show, I think. Yeah, but at the same time, I think Riverdale's too far gone for that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Riverdale's a fantasy show now, isn't it? Yeah. Are you up to date with it now? No, I'm. I'm I was looking yesterday. I'm seven episodes behind. Oh man, don't know how that happened. It's all this year, but um, it's a, it's I'll a catch up to it before the end of the. End it, it, end of it's the a season. roller coaster, and it's something you have to catch up on. Definitely. Oh. Um, well, I'll just uh, I'll, last things I'll point out is that the the Veronica Fish cover, which is the one I got with my Comicsology um, uh, purchase, is so cool. Like it gives me Kiki's delivery service vibes, but also it's like because it's done by the artist. I, I'm always I'm a I'm a big fan of covers done by the the uh, the artist. Yeah, uh, and I I feel like. It, not only is, does it have a bit more consistency for me, but it also has this thing of like, what what 
do they give us when they don't have to like when they're not trying to move the story on type of thing like mm. how do they get all the essences of the character that they've given us over 20 plus pages how do mm. they fit that into one um one uh one panel basically mm. exactly um and i think this one's really good where it's uh, sabrina with the white hair uh salem in, in her backpack just on a broom in the clouds loads of birds about um while her bags open and there's stuff flying out it's it captures a lot of that really good. And mm. I think the Adam Hughes cover, because at the back it gives you the yeah. covers gallery, yeah. the Adam Hughes cover looks really cool. So I really like that that sort of uh, postery uh, uh, like look. Yeah. Uh, where it's not, like, it's not quite 50s pinup, if you know what I mean, but it evokes yeah. that type of vibe like with the facial expression. It, does, it does have that, yeah. I do like the Adam Hughes cover, but I've got the, um, I've got the Veronica Fish cover as well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they're um, really cool. Yeah. Uh, so full list of credits for Sabrina Issue 1. We have story by Kelly Thompson, art by Veronica Fish and Andy Fish, lettering by Jack Morelli. Um, uh, editors are Alex Segura and Jamie Lee uh, Rotante and um, editor-in-chief Victor Gorlick, publisher John Goldwater. And that is on Archie Comics. And we have variant covers, uh, which we've already mentioned a couple. Main cover is Veronica Fish. Uh, variant covers, Stephanie Busema, Adam Hughes, Victor Ivanez, and Sandra Lanz. So yeah, that is uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch number one. Now, uh, the last one that we have to talk about today is one that um, we were sent very graciously by Soaring Penguin Press uh, for review. And this is the latest um collected edition of daisy blackwood pilot for hire um now what we have um so this is like the second one the one that we're going to be talking about today is uh well the one that we're going to be mainly talking about today is actually the second book because this is the one that's going to be coming out um in the near future um but this is actually the second of two and this is uh daisy blackwood pilot for hire and it's uh the, the title of the story is the stolen socialite and is entirely the work of a Ryan Howe. So, this is kind of... Uh, how do I get to describing this? It is this um, this great kind of like all-ages adventure, I guess. Um, and it's this pulpy 30s, 40s, like, out-of-time aesthetic with uh, kind of 30s and 40s style and technology... And it has this like little bit of a fantasy edge um, with sky pirates and things like that. And Daisy Blackwood is this like no nonsense badass pilot um, who drives planes and does cargo um, deliveries and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, she's a pilot for hire, and she gets embroiled in these death-defying adventures. Uh, and in the second one, the Soul and Socialite, she is out to rescue her friend from a gang of pirates sky pirates from well from what the the from what i get from the book they are sky pirates a gang of sky pirates um and it's just like non-stop action from panel to panel page to page and it is great um so what i'll do is i'll i mean like because i read both because i read the first collection as well in prep for this um they are both standalone stories you don't 
because of the nature of the the, the nature of, of of the way this the stories are in this you don't need to have read the first one to understand anything about this one because they are just standalone arcs involving this character which is quite nice actually i quite like that that either wall could be a jumping on point the first one is uh the cursed island which is got more of a um kind of a, a like ancient civilization indiana jonesy type edge to it with uh some kind of um weird like lovecraftian elements as well uh that one's kind of cool i like that one um, yeah it sounds like that'd be up your alley yeah yeah so she she ends up uh driving a plane the plane gets hijacked by a scientist who has a curious artifact and needs to get to a particular island to destroy it. And uh, they're also being chased by a tough as nails bounty hunter. And yeah, it's, it's, it's great fun. I'm not going to talk too much about the plot because I don't want to spoil it, but it's great fun. And the Stolen Socialite is the adrenaline up to 11 the same way. Except this one's more of a kind of like a pulp adventure but with less of a horror element to it. But it's, it's still really cool. Um, so, um, it's, it's, it, yeah, this book is just a real treat. I really like the, the great pacing and it's this awesome, fun pulp adventure strip and it's a webcomic and these are collected arts, arcs that get published via Soaring Penguin Press. So it's a webcomic that you can follow and these collected arcs have been published in print. Um, and it's, yeah, it, this gorgeous the art is just this gorgeous clean line cartoon style and it's just so economical with detail and each panel contains just enough to convey the message or the motion or the action or whatever it is it's trying to show you and mm. it gets to the point and it works so well for this energetic for these energetic fast-paced stories that it tells because with this being a web comic as well like the format will be energetic and fast-paced because i mean i don't know if you've noticed that when you've read web comics but each page um, although part of a wider story and telling like a part of a wider arc, each page itself has a definite start, middle and end. So it's like a chapter in a page almost, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a skill for sure to kind of do that in one page. Like each of these pages hits those beats, start, middle, end, start, middle, end. Especially because on the site, uh, apparently there are updates uh, every Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Exactly. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And it it's like when you collect it together and read it as a full arc, it gives it gives it like this really cool rhythm, mm. and it just kind of like flows perfectly. And with the way the art is in this as well, in black and white, it just adds to the pulp feel even more. Um, there's some great character designs. Um, I love Daisy; she's great. Like, I mean, like these stories have a mean right hook, and so does Daisy. <laughs> it's just you know it, it's it's just fantastic and it's got great detail and expression and you know what i could i could see this as a saturday morning cartoon mm. i don't know like i just could it just has that that air about it that feel it's just kind of thing that if i was a kid i would love it if it was on tv yeah because i um i wanted to read this in in time for the recording but i'll have to read it um for next episode but um yeah looking at some of the, the 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 most recent updates on the site yeah i definitely echo uh what you're saying about the the line work and the yeah. character design they're they're so um uh like you can feel the personality mm. with the character just in a, a yeah. few brush stroke, uh, brush strokes and a few like uh lines uh like under their eyes or on their cheeks 
there's a lot of detail in like the clothing and because yeah. it's uh black and white the the, sh- the shade game is like very good exactly um, but it's not and, overbearing is it it's not it's yeah not too much it's just but enough it, it, and it it's gives really you... clean it has yeah. this really clean look that i like and and, and it, it because of that it is an absolute joy to read uh, and i enjoyed it all start to finish this the gorgeous black and white artwork it's just great and um the writing's good as well like the such great pacing in these stories and it just goes from adrenaline filled page to adrenaline filled page because of it being a webcomic and with its original form being incremental like that it's i mean more incremental than comics are because comics are if you imagine comics as published individual chapters of a greater whole a webcomic each chapter is a single page as i you know and that is evident in this and it it that is what gives it such energy when you're reading it it's great um and i would recommend this to anybody anybody who likes um who who wants a fun first adventure comic uh anybody who you know anybody who who enjoys that 1930s 40s pulp aesthetic um in any way shape or form will love this because it has all of that it's got biplanes it's got ancient civilizations and like lost islands and stuff like that it's it's got it all <laughs> it's the, the whole thing like and and it's got this fantasy edge with these kind of like um sky pirates like flying in a blimp kind of thing and you know with the second story being what it is this ransom story it's just great and uh yeah i mean the first one uh the cursed island is available now via Sawing penguin press um the second one, um, which is Daisy Blackwood, Pilot for Hire, The Stolen Socialite, uh, will be available um, on the 20th of April, from the 20th of April. Or, well, I mean, I think you can probably pre-order it now from Soaring Penguin Press, but it will, like, I think it's, uh, print date is 20th of April. So that will be available uh, on the 20th of April 2019 at com, where you can buy the other one in print as well. Um, so yeah, uh, the first one is um, Daisy Blackwood, Pilot for Hire, The Cursed Island. And that, I think that's available now. Um, so the price of the second one, when, when it drops uh, in pounds will be £7.99 and in dollars, that's £12.99 US dollars. And it's 92 pages and it's black and white and it's beautiful. And I recommend it 100%. So yeah, go check that out. Oh, um, also the second one has a bonus adventure in it. There's a 19 page adventure at the end, um, which is called follow that bird. And, um, it's, uh, basically Daisy chasing a bird across the city because she owes somebody a favor. And this parrot, the bird's a parrot and the parrot knows things. Um, it belongs to like a prominent businessman, slash stock trader type guy and obviously if that parrot gets into the wrong hands that parrot could spill all kinds of secrets so she has to get the parrot back before it falls into the wrong hands and uh it's yeah it's it's hilarious it's great i love it (laughs) and uh, it's 100 percent worth reading and picking up so grab grab those check them out they're great or even if you just go to the um the the website and check out the um the the webcomic um give that a look check out some of the uh, some of the artwork and some of the some of the work on there cuz it's great yeah 
Um, so yeah, and that is uh, entirely the work of Ryan Howe. He did the whole lot, writing and written and illustrated by Ryan Howe. And I think that brings us to the end of the comics for this week, doesn't it, Leon? That is everything. It does. Yeah, nothing left. So, um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to very quickly just bust through a couple of comics that I've got on the um, the pull list uh, for the next two weeks. So that's the 3rd of April, and we've also got a pull list for um, the 10th of April as well. So, on the 3rd of April, I've just picked two for each one. So, 3rd of April, I've got um, Section Zero. Now, Section Zero is published by Image Comics, and... Um, this is uh, the, well, the blurb. The blurb says it all, really. A team of fearless adventurers uncovers the secrets behind UFOs, monsters, and lost civilizations. It's Jack Kirby does the X Files. In this mini series, by one of Comet's classic creative teams, Carl Kessel of Harley Quinn and Superboy, and Tom Grummet, who uh, Death of Superman and Superboy, and some of the greatest alternative cover artists in the industry. Um. So yeah, it's I. If you like the X-Files and Jack Kirby. <laughs> and it kind of looks like that as well, actually, when you look at the cover of the first issue. Got like this kind of team stood in shadow under what looks like the light of a UFO. Um, and it looks kind of cool. Um, I may check that out. It for sounds cool. Yeah, it sounds kind of cool. So I think I'll have to check that out. And that is uh, Carl Kessel, uh, who is the writer, artist and cover artist. We've also got Tom Grummet, who's artist, cover artist. Uh, we've got a variant cover by Jerry Ordway and another variant cover by Walt Simonson. So that's worth a look. Second one for um, the 3rd of April is uh, the Ghostbusters 35th anniversary, Ghostbusters number one, which caught my eye, of course. The 35th anniversary of the Ghostbusters is upon us. Let's celebrate with four spectacular weekly comics featuring different Ghostbuster teams in all new standalone adventures. First out of the firehouse are the original Buston team of Peter, Winston, Egon and Ray, who have seen a lot of things during their time as paranormal investigators, but the latest case might just turn history on its head. Could it be that they found proof of Atlantis? It's a case full of salt water and slime with the original Ghostbusters, and that is Eric Burnham and Dan Schooning, of course. Who else? Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've been looking forward to these 35th anniversary celebrations for Ghostbusters, like, all year. There's like, I mean, I talked about it, was it a couple of episodes ago? I talked about the fact that they're doing the crossover with Transformers later on this year. Um, and I'm looking forward to this. And what I'm especially looking forward to, actually, is the uh, the real Ghostbusters portion. Because um, I hear tale that they are doing, as one of these like weekly comics, they're doing a real Ghostbusters one. And that, for me, is just chef's kiss. So, yeah, we are looking forward to that. Um, for the... 10th of April, um, there's a couple that I have picked up on. We've got Detective Comics 1001, which follows on from Detective Comics 1000. Uh, the end of Detective Comics 1000 is the lead-in for the story for Detective Comics 1001. Um, so you need to go and read that explosively. And uh, well, you need to go and read that explosive ending, not explosively. Don't read it explosively. That's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> um how would you read something explosively? Would that be like shouting in all caps on public transport or something? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, yeah, so you need to go and read that and then you need to read 1001 because it's going to be great. The lead-in sounds great. I'm interested. I like it. Um, 
uh and um yeah so check that out and uh we have um marvel tales thanos number one which this one is kind of like it's part of these marvel 80th anniversary celebrations so uh the most ruthless villain in the marvel universe takes center stage as we celebrate the 80th anniversary of the house of ideas with the era spanning marvel tales this anthology series shines a spotlight on fan favorite characters features timeless stories and highlights some of marvel's most impressive talent from the past eight decades and for thanos it could only be the cosmic maestro jim stalin Reprinting the classic tale written and drawn by uh, Stalin, the first reve- that first revealed Thanos' stunning collect- connection to the deadliest woman in the galaxy, Gamora, from Warlock, nineteen seventy-two, number ten, and another Stalin-scripted epic pits the Mad Titan against one of the Marvel Universe's greatest evils, the devilish Mephisto, in Silver Surfer, nineteen eighty-seven. Silver Surfer 45 and uh, Gamora gets the chance to unleash her full fury on her twisted father figure in Warlock and the Infinity Watch, number eight. So. Yeah, it's um, it's worth a look that as a collection of classic Thanos tales, kind of like what Marvel have been doing with the True Believers thing, except what they've done is they've just kind of combined them into one easy to pick up anthology book. So as a primer for Thanos, I guess that would be really cool. Uh, you know, if you want to know a little bit more about Thanos, uh, a little bit of a history lesson, it'd be a great thing to pick up. I've actually read all of those stories before thinking about it really? um, and they're all great yeah <laughs> um now we have um also another one that i picked up that i just it just hit me as a leon book and this one is called faithless and this is on boom studios faith sex the devil faith likes to dabble with magic her friends think it's cute and not just a little off-putting Uh, But it's part of her charm and her warped search for purpose in a world that makes too much sense. But she's a true believer and knows there is a power within her reach. She's right, of course. It just took a while for that magic. Uh, The temptation, that unknowable thing to find her. In short, faith is bored as hell and hell has noticed. And this is Brian Azzarello, uh, who has written it. Uh, We've got artist Maria Lovett. Uh, Paul Pope has done a cover for this. Um, we've got a variant cover by um, Merca Andolfo and another variant cover by Tula Lote. So, um, and there's a Bermeo variant as well. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just hit me straight away okay. as a Leon book. I don't know why, I, but I mean, like, uh, yeah, it just sounded interesting. So you could check that out. Yeah, I'll give that a look. Yeah. Um, and that is the end of the pull list for this week. So that has been Ace Comicals number 59. So um, you can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is pretty much the hub for everything. We have links to all of our social media on there. Uh, we have Twitter where you can find us as Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn and Castro uh, to listen to us. Um you can send us emails to acecomicals at gmail.com. Um, send us stupid scenarios to discuss. Give us silly questions. Anything you want. Uh, and we will endeavour to answer those on the following shows. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Leon, where can we find you? Follow me on Twitter at Leon Everett. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, you can interact with us on social media, get involved in the conversation. And uh, that has been Ace Comicals. Over and out.